This is Music Ed Amplified. Well, hello there, music peeps. How's your spring break going? Or your almost spring break? Or the dreaded, awful spring break is over? I hope that wherever you are on the spring break spectrum, you'll enjoy a little time here on Music Ed Amplified, the podcast where I talk a lot and try to ask the questions that real music teachers want to know, or at least music teachers who are like me. Speaking of spring break, mine starts soon, and now that I am fully vaccinated, I am going home to Florida to see my mom and dad, as well as the rest of my also vaccinated family, and I couldn't be more excited since I haven't been home in almost two years. Although I won't be completely work-free while down there, I am trying very hard to cut down where I can, so I won't be producing any more episodes for the next month. I know you'll be fine. Because if you're anything like me, you're probably many episodes behind or listening to this a year later. So if I take a few weeks off, it won't affect you too much. I'm proud of myself for holding barriers for my mental health because, let's be honest, no one else is going to do it for me. Today's guest on the podcast, Dr. Scott Edgar, is Associate Professor of Music, Music Education Chair, and Director of Bands at Lake Forest College. Prior to his work in higher ed, Scott taught K-12 music in Ohio and Michigan. Scott serves as Director of Practice and Research for the Center for Arts, Education, and Social-Emotional Learning. In addition to clinics, he also teaches grad courses on musical social-emotional learning at Vandercook College of Music and is the author of Music Education and Social-Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music. And speaking of Scott's book, guess what? free giveaway time two episodes in a row i'll be doing another facebook live over on music ed with missy in the next couple weeks maybe i'll do it from florida to enter you'll need to listen for a secret code and that code will be what scott mentions as a thing he believes should be hanging in every single classroom to help with social emotional learning so let's get to it dr scott edgar welcome to the podcast. My honor. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I don't know if I told you over time I was talking to Alec Harris uh, from GIA Publications and we were like it would be so cool to have him on the podcast and so I really appreciate uh, you coming because you're a busy guy. You know the the silly pandemic just (laughs) kind of threw everything up into a tailspin and then the one thing that it did do, it was it, it put a magnifying glass on our needs and social and emotional learning has become the buzzword of buzzwords in educational circuits. So mm. busy guy, yeah, maybe to my wife's dismay, but it's, <laughs> it, it's certainly been a lot of uh, enjoyable and meaningful work. Uh, and, you know, it, it really does all stem from relationships. So you talk about Alec uh, and it gets no better than Alec Harris at I GIA. <laughs> and uh, so that's how these kind of things happen because we have relationships. Yeah. And, and because he believes in the work you're doing and he knows what I'm doing and he just was like, this would be a great kind of matchup. If you had to explain to somebody who doesn't know a lot about social emotional learning, which I will be honest is me. But if you if you met me, and I said, you know, what is this? How would you describe it to someone? And what is the thing that compelled you to think 
social emotional learning is something that really fits well with the field of music education. Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit of my life story. Sure. Uh, hope Let's you're ready. <laughs> uh, and then then we'll get into this idea of what is SEL. So I'm a middle school and high school band director. That, oh, I'm that, sorry. That, I know, no, I'm just right? Kidding. That, 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 that's my I'm history. kidding, everyone. Here comes the here come the ugly emails. <laughs> so you, you know, I, I had so many hats that I wore, and one yeah. of the hats that my students wanted me to wear was one of confidant, was one of counselor, was one of being in a position where they brought their angst to me. And that hat fit uncomfortably, not because I didn't want to be an empathetic human being and an adult to really engage these students through these experiences. That's not my background. My background is not of counselor. I'm a music teacher. Now, both my parents are social workers, so mm. it's kind of been in my blood from the right, beginning. Right, right. Uh, but when we talk about what this really looks like, people were asking me to come and to address some challenges that, you know, to be honest, I'm a good listener. I can right. sit down and I can be empathetic. But the students wanted more than what I could give. So when I was a middle school and high school band director, did I do SEL? Absolutely not. I didn't call it it. I didn't know about it. Right. I engaged my class in a socially and emotionally conscious way. But this contract wasn't even on my radar. So I sold my soul and went to higher ed. And uh, at that point, I discovered this construct of social and emotional learning. I said, hey, hey, th this is something. This is something. And this was far before uh, we ever looked at it as buzzword status. Right. So when we started to look at this thing, I thought, hey, this is something a teacher could do. This is something that a teacher could do proactively. This is something that a teacher could do to skill build these life skills that we're after. Because, you know, Missy, if I were to ask you, you know, what are skills that we build in the music classroom? You're going to tell me, yeah, you get your kids to hear so me, you trigger right. the D, you shift on violin. But my guess is the list of life skills is going to be far longer than yeah. those music discrete skills. So that's where this gets at, well, we do this life skill building in our music classrooms. But what can we do to make it more intentional? What can we do to capitalize on music? Mm -hmm. And what can we do to use music as a means to practice these life skills? So this is where Enter SEL. And I discovered this construct, and I've spent the last decade of my life translating it for music, translating it for the arts. So how do we capitalize on this idea that music and the arts are social? They are emotional. And we have the greatest gift ever, Missy. We see our students more than any yep. other teacher in the school. It's called developmental relationships. That's why they trust us. That's why they come to us. Hmm. And that's why we need to be able to give our students more than we currently are. You know, uh, you know, we, we have this in our hearts and we know that our students need us, especially now than yeah. more than ever. But when our students come to us with these challenges, we listen, we give them our time, we give them our space, but we have a great opportunity to, as my dear friend Maurice Elias out of Rutgers says, are we preparing them for the life of tests or for the <laughs> tests of life? And I would argue that the tests of life are far more important than life of tests. Yeah, you would hope that, um, although sometimes your admin doesn't and, feel and you that know, way. You know, spot on. So, you know, there are so many hurdles that we say, yeah, Scott, you make it sound really good. You make this sound like this is something. It's not easy. It takes sure. courage to 
want to, one, just engage your students on a social and emotional level. And we'll unpack a little bit about what specifically those skills are so that we can better understand how that maps on to what we do on a daily basis. But the challenge is you bring up the administrators. Yeah, if a teacher comes, if an administrator comes in and says, okay, what are you doing today? And you say, well, today's SEL day. Well, that's the first challenge that I think we need to overcome. It should never be SEL day. Right. It should never be music, 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 stop, SEL, music, music, music. You know, a question, Missy, that I get from teachers all the time is, how many minutes do I need to spend on SEL for it to be meaningful? And the best answer I can give you, Missy, is all of them. <laughs> right. All of your minutes should be SEL, right. and all of your minutes should be music. Hmm. Well, that's... That certainly um, makes sense with just human interface. Like this is what we're doing is, um, you know, trying to connect, build connections with students. It's something I've been talking about for maybe the past six months more intentionally myself because I was, I think I was erroneously trying to make students more of this like, um, oh, how can I say? Like thinking of them as this kind of blob of people as opposed to individuals, to be quite honest, for many years in my career because that was easier, it, uh, especially with I have such a crazy busy life and I realized what a disservice I was doing uh, to my students by doing that just kind of like, okay, all students are like this. All students think like this. Here's what all students need for classroom management. Um, this very author author authoritarian kind of viewpoint. And I really have been trying to bust out of that. And I think that's why um, SEL seems like something that really makes sense to me in this new approach of do I see my students, you know, each one of them. So when you say it sh it's permeating it should permeate everything we do that makes a lot of sense but I'll also say just in reaction to how you're saying it it also makes me nervous because you know we're already overwhelmed as teachers um, and so just to ask if you have any thoughts about that when you hear me say that that my you know it's like anybody coming in to present to the faculty and they're like, here's this new thing. And guess what? You're already doing it, which is my favorite thing to make fun of. And then I say, if we're already doing it, why are you here telling us about it? And it's like, well, all we need you to do is now you need to have this special meeting. Now you have to do and you just feel so overwhelmed. What do you say when somebody says something like that about these about SEL? Yeah, I'll say your plate's already full, that there's yeah. no space for one more thing, especially now. And that's why it's not adding something. It's making that thing that we're already doing more intentional. <laughs> so there's three words that we use when we talk about SEL related to your, your very real and honest and vulnerable concern that you just brought up. That it needs to be intentional. It needs to be embedded into the musical process. So it's not one more thing and it's sustained so that it becomes of our classroom culture. And this is where that whole how many SEL minutes thing is like, yeah, wrong question. <laughs> right. But, but you know what? When the people come in and do those professional developments, 
there, there's a couple things wrong with those. One is that there's not enough continued support so that we understand yes. how we really get traction. We don't know how we get to that embedded piece where we understand how it works with the music teacher. How does it work with the art teacher? How does it work with the science teacher? How does it work with the math teacher? We don't have enough time to get together in groups and unpack that in a way that we can say, okay. So when you say that it makes you nervous, you, that that is a very real and common response. One, because, you know, the whole full plate thing, mm -hmm. but also we're asking for vulnerability. We're asking for you to be vulnerable to say, you know, we're going to talk about self-reflection. We're going to talk about our own strengths, our own needs. We're going to unpack our own identity. We're going to facilitate how can we come together and better understand our belonging that we're trying to facilitate in our classrooms. And those two pieces really hit home with what you said about, you know, our students aren't just a blob of humanity, they're individuals. Yeah. And the first thing that we need to understand is that every student doesn't need to have the same experience. It's okay for students to individualize their education. And it's okay for students to set their own goals and to self-assess. And when we start to, yes, when I say that, a lot of teachers think, oh my goodness, that's a lot more work. But when <laughs> we think about it, when we start to put some of the onus on the student, it actually takes things off our plate. And when we start to think about how do we facilitate a sense of belonging, where we're all coming together with a similar mission and a similar belief system, you know, um, you, you brought up the term classroom management, which I have to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of that term because sure. it is authoritarian. But when we come together among belonging and we rally around that mission, th this challenge, let's just face and, and acknowledge what classroom management, it's acquiescing. It's having students do what we say. Right. And, you know, and, and that's not even on the table anymore because students realize that their voice matters and that they want to be part of this environment and they want to better understand their identity. You know, let's just own it right now. We're living in really, really challenging times where students are having difficult conversations outside of our classroom that when they come into our classroom and we say, let's make music, no chance, no chance because pandemic, since, uh, <laughs> systemic racism, right? diversity that is just as divisive as I've seen it in my lifetime. Yeah. And then we say, come together and make music, play the B-flat scale. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, freaking right. <laughs> we need to help our students get through some of these social and emotional challenges. And that doesn't mean leave them at the door. That means through the musical process, can we allow our students to unpack their identity, their challenges that they're bringing in. Can we have them map that onto some of the music that we're doing in class, but maybe more importantly, the music that they're engaging outside of our classroom. Right. You know, let, let me throw another buzzword at you, culturally <laughs> responsive pedagogy. Right? I was actually just thinking about it as you were speaking. Yeah. And you know, as cleanly as I can put it, it's that's the connection, that's that double-sided arrow between our students' musical life outside of our classroom with their musical life inside the classroom. And I think that SEL is part of that line that connects those two things. Hmm. So those are just some really high-level things, and I'm happy to dig deeply into just a few very, very specific ways that we can do this, but that when we think of it from that perspective, well, do we have identities in our classroom? Yes. Do we all want to facilitate belonging in our classrooms? Do we hope maybe we could do it a little bit better? Are we worried about retention and recruiting? Are we worried about how our students are going to re-enter into the classroom and feel safe and feel 
able to take risks to make quality music. Yeah. And if, if that resonates, that's what SEL is. Hmm. All right. Well, it certainly seems very attractive when you, uh, attractive, maybe not the best word, but um, when you put it like that, like I, ca- I can't help but think as, well, because I am one, you know, just a general music teacher um, thinking of all the things that we're supposed to do. Um, and I like the idea of <clears throat> thinking of it more as learning to bring this out in our instruction. Um, what, you know, you said intentional, um, consistent. Yes. There's one that I forgot. Yes. Sustained and embedded. Yes. There you go. And I wanted to ask you about when did this first book come out? The music education and social emotional learning book. The yellow book. The yellow book. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. 2017. Yeah. It seems like it just came out. Wow. Well, this last year took 10 years. Yeah, I, I, I just, isn't it 2030 already? So, um, so what, I mean, I guess I can guess what compelled you to write it. Um, could, you, could you talk a little bit about that? And there's a new book coming out, yes? Can you tell yeah. me the name of that book? Because I actually don't know the title. Yeah, so that's... Uh, so or do you the, have a title yet? <laughs> oh, no, and, and, and okay. the manuscript is in. So it's in. Oh, that's we, a beautiful moment, isn't it? <laughs> yes, the, 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 the inbox is clear from everything that has to do with this new book. That's so nice. the, the exciting thing about this new book, and then I'll go back to 2017. Sure. We'll sure. go reverse history. Uh, but right now, we, we just submitted a manuscript for something called Portraits and social and emotional learning and music education, teaching music with heart. And the exciting thing about this is I didn't write it. I edited it. And hey, nice. these are the stories of teachers across the country who are actively on the ground embedding SEO in the classroom. So these are people who I have had the privilege of working with for the last four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And that they're saying, hey, that Scott Edgar guy, he said something and then I tried it. And this part of it worked, this part of it didn't work. Here's how it manifests in my environment. Here's how I adapted it. And here's the reality of the world that I'm living in. So the authors are incredibly diverse in terms of subject area, in terms of geography, in terms of teaching experience. So we do have uh, three fabulous chapters written for elementary general teachers. Uh, We have uh, chapters written for middle school, chapters written for high school, and uh, we have an amazing, amazing chapter written by an elementary general teacher in Orange County, California. Hey. Uh, yep, there you go. Is it Darlene? Darlene? You got it. It's Darlene. <laughs> and to the rock star of rock star. And she just wrote an amazing chapter on how social and emotional learning and music education, if we're not careful, is another form of silencing. And she really gives us space to understand uh, SEL and music ed for an anti-racist lens, for an mm-hmm. equity lens, and just hits it out of the park. And yeah. so that's available now. Uh, you can go to the website and download. You that, mean that chapter is available? That chapter. The rest of the book will be out uh, later this spring. Uh, and like I said, it, it, it's teachers. It's teachers like everyone who's listening right now who just says, what does this look like? How does this manifest in my classroom? How does this not feel like one more thing? And <laughs> right. the, the hour that we're talking right now, Missy, we're not going to unpack that. But if you look at the teachers who are doing this work, they're the loudest voice that I can put out there. 
So they took some of the resources that I've put together over the last 10 years, including the 2017 book, which really starts to unpack how these two worlds really are peanut butter and jelly when we do it intentionally. Uh, and then there was a follow-up student workbook, which has some tangible reflections that um, are quite easy. Uh, I, hate, I hate using the word easy because none of this work is easy. Right. But when you look at downloading a PDF and saying, here's the reflection, we've tried to make it as accessible as sure. possible. Um, and then I'm so excited about this one. Uh, a few months ago, my wife and I published a children's book uh, that is an ABC's emotion book where every word has, uh, every letter has an emotion word because one of the hallmarks of SEL is emotional vocabulary building that we need to get beyond good, bad, fine and right. really start to unpack uh, just more nuanced words. So we published this book a few uh, months ago and just a lot of excitement around it uh, and a, a lot of uh, things that are going to be coming out around this. So I'm going to be honest. The book, we really did try to achieve uh, a certain level of diversity within the music that we represented, but it wasn't enough, Missy. It wasn't mm. even near enough. So we've brought in some fabulous people who your listeners certainly will know who are going to curate guest playlists for this oh, book. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, so Franklin Willis is going to do hey, a guest Franklin. Playlist. Oh, you're hitting all my favorites. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Karen Howard is going to be doing Aww. a guest playlist for us. Same artwork, free music that you can start to have these conversations with your students. Okay, so um, I don't know if you've ever heard me, but I'm a, a master of, I need this broken down very basically for me. So let me just think through this. There is a this is a Missy, Missyism. There is a yellow book. That's your first book. You got right? it. That's a book for teachers to learn about the two worlds of social emotional learning and the music classroom and how they really can go hand in hand together. Yes? Yep. And then there's a student workbook associated with that yellow book. And it's a blue book. Uh, why'd you gotta why you gotta make it blue? <laughs> <laughs> why isn't it yellow? <laughs> Because then we confuse it with the first book. That's right. <laughs> so there's, there's, okay, so there's the yellow book, then an associated st student workbook. Yes. Yep. And then there's a children's book, the ABC book. Yep. And now you're starting to do these curated song lists. Is that Which what is associated with the ABC children's right. book. Yep. And accessible, th I'm, I'm going to assume you have a master like website or something like that go but that's how we started my yep. friend we're going I back saw. to gia's <laughs> website it's there and we'll yeah, make sure that those i'll get that yes, to you for your liner yes. notes yeah definitely and then now there's this book and i believe you said it's called portraits yep and that is all these you know kind of different practitioners talking about the boots on the ground how we're doing this um social emotional learning kind of thing do i have and it all and I'm going to blow your mind. It's a oh, purple no. book. It's a purple book. <laughs> no, purple is fine if it's different than the first one. Like, you know, the associated book should also be the same color because I am very simple. You see, I like it to, I like matchy matchy. So, you know, to be, to be honest though, it's complimentary. So, you know, the, the first book really does delve into the activities and the second, uh, the second book really does unpack what it can look like. Makes it okay. tangible. So okay. uh, it is standalone, but it is certainly associated. I wanted to touch on something as I read through the yellow book. Everyone, I hope you understand what the yellow book is. That's Scott's first book. Um, you draw attention to the fact that 
when someone is seeking to incorporate social, social emotional learning into their classroom more intentionally, it's important, you know, to remind yourself that you are not, you know, a psychologist, a counselor. It, it reminds me of um, the neuroscience work that I do. And one of the best things that ever happened in my doctoral work was when one of my professors sat me down and said, it's just very important that you remember you are not a scientist you are not a neuroscientist. It's good that you're doing this, but just keep some balance in your mind and never pretend to be something you're not. And that was such fantastic advice. Um, you wrote that in the book. What are some of the practical kind of outcroppings of that? Like, why did you say that? I, I can kind of guess, but. A hundred percent. It's professional safety. It's we are not counselors. We are, and I was starting to talk a little bit about this, but you know th these are those hats that students want us to wear that don't fit comfortably. So when students come to us with trauma, and you know we've we've all been there. It comes from everything from you know the kid didn't sleep well, all the way up to you know the the breakup, all the way up through <laughs> things that we know our students are dealing with that are just unimaginable that we know they're bringing with them. And there are things that we are equipped to help our students with, and there are things that we absolutely are not. Right. The reason that I, I felt compelled to dedicate a whole chapter in the book was to just stress that we need to understand what is our role and what is our not. Where is that line in the sand? So I like to think of it as SEL and the work that we're doing is very much preventative mental health care. So okay. if you think about how do we build our students' skill set to be able to respond to the challenges of life, and then that's that's our work, you know, just how we're doing the work we're doing in our classroom about skill building music, we can build those life skills. Now, when we get too far into this sandwich, let's put a nice big juicy hamburger on there. And once we get into there, we have life, we have challenges, we have trauma, we have success. Further we get up in there, we need a top bun to hold that all together. That top bun are our mental health professionals. There are school psychologists, there are social workers, there are counselors. We need both buns to hold this puppy all together, but we need to know we're the bottom bun, they're the top bun, right. and never the two shall mix. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay, so that's, um, I like that. I think that's that's important to kind of keep that mindset. I'm sure it becomes more important you know, the older the, the students become, you know, I live in a world of, I mean, and I don't mean to imply it's not important in the younger years, but I, what I mean is your interactions with the students when they're middle school and high school, I don't know, maybe I just, this is just my imagination of it. Go ahead. No, what were you no, 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 no. And you're, you're spot on, but you know, I, I think it gets down to uh, what I call Mr. Rogering that our, our, our littles are dealing with the exact same things sure. that our older students are, but they don't have the capacity, they don't have the vocabulary, and they're interacting it within a different way. So when we talk about how does SEL intersect with this, I firmly believe that Mr. Rogers was our greatest model, yep. that Mr. Rogers could talk about the most intense, high-level challenges in a way that a kindergartner was crystal <laughs> clear on. So it's not, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I can't talk to racism, uh, talk to my students about racism because I teach first grade. No, two things. One, 
we Mr. Rogers it in a way that we're yeah. able to talk to our students at that level that's developmentally appropriate. And two, we use music. We don't ever go into our classroom and say, let's talk about racism. We use music as our portal. You know, there's a composer out on the West Coast. Her name's Alex Shapiro. And she said this, that social and emotional learning is a portal. It's a portal inward towards our students' hearts and a portal outward to the world around them. And music is that portal. You know, yeah. we're going to find those pieces of music for our second graders. We're going to find the folk song that puts that message front and center. I had the pleasure of interviewing John Feyerabend about social and emotional learning and music education. And he said, you know, you know what, Scott? There are so many folk songs out there that I don't use. And I, I excuse me if anyone loves clap, clap, clap your hands. But right. John says, you know, clap, clap, clap your hands is a song about clapping your hands. Right. I can come up with a better song that's going <laughs> to teach my students how to clap their hands and connect to their lives. Yeah. So it's Women's History Month as we're recording this. And I have first grade. We're doing cycles this year where instead of seeing all the grades, we're seeing one grade for like a 10-week period. And I've never done this, but I talked intentionally about Aretha Franklin. But we were talking about how when she was young, she went through so much heartache, which I did not know until this past year and a half. And also that her house was this hub for like Martin Luther King Jr., Ella Fitzgerald. And what I loved was the first graders engaging with these ideas uh, first of all, that in a book they spotted Ella Fitzgerald made me very happy. And they're like, and I see Martin Luther King Jr. I said, I don't know if they were all there together. You know, the book just kind of does that. But they were talking about how musicians, um, musicians express what many, many, many people are going through in a time, in a certain time. And somebody said something like, I wonder what musicians will say about COVID, right? Like, what will the musicians say? And we just talked about things like, what are, um, it just kind of led to a discussion of what's stressing us out about COVID. What things do we miss? What things we're, are we looking forward to? And all of this I just loved based around this idea of Aretha Franklin. <laughs> like, we just started talking about that. And those are the ways I love those organic and authentic moments um, so there were two things music. that are beautiful about that. One, you were willing to go down that rabbit hole. Oh, that I'm always, you, yeah. you, you didn't stop it. You know, there, there were, and, and there are so many opportunities that I've gone in and seen just great teachers who are there and they start something and they have this SEL plan. Oh, I really want to show Scott this SEL plan. And the students are wanting to take it in an SEL direction, but it's not on the plan. Right. And, and I'm like, go. <laughs> yes. Go, go. They are giving Follow you. Them. Yeah. Yes. And, and that is the most beautiful moment. So you know what's interesting? Is that the students wanted to engage there. You know, I, I heard so much SEL and the story you just told. In that instance, you were yeah. connecting music to uh, the students' lives. You were talking about empathy. You were talking about appreciating diversity. You were uh, talking about acknowledging uh, multicultural awareness. All of those things fit into what we would call goal two of SEL. Hmm. Well, look at my first graders. <laughs> I'm going to tell them tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they're fantastic. And I just find that 
kids want to engage. You know, when they found out she, one kid said, what does it mean her mom and dad were not together? And I said, well, to be quite honest, it means they were divorced. And all these kids, you know, were like, my parents are divorced. And I said, and you see, you see these things that um, Aretha went through that were so difficult. Um, and yet her parents loved her. Um, they went through a hard time. And then she went forward and still, you know, even though she was in pain, they went forward. So, so Missy, my mantra right now is needs before notes. Yeah. That we need to take care of the needs, and we'll get to the notes. Yeah, and I'm not worried. <laughs> no, exactly. And the fact that you reach that student who has just experienced trauma that few of us have had yeah. to deal with in our lives, and you did that in the music classroom, through music, in a way, what a powerful story. Yeah, I'm just thankful for this job and this subject. It really is something that, I agree with you, peanut butter and jelly, these things, you couldn't tear them apart if you tried, you know. But, you know, we, we know plenty of counterexamples too, don't we? Yeah, we, we, and, and, and that's why when, uh, when a teacher comes to me and, and goes to y your hated word, um, <laughs> we already do this, I'm like, are you sure? You're right. Are you sure? You know, I, I think that we have the most fertile ground. I think that we have the most beautiful art form that gives us the biggest head start we could ever ask for. But to say we already do it, I think almost devalues the power of music and makes a lot of assumptions about what our students are bringing into our classroom. Hmm. Well, you know, on that track, if you have, I'm not if you, I'm certain you have, you know, teachers coming to you who are like, I want to do this. Um, what do you suggest as some really good first steps toward learning about social emotional learning and starting to employ it besides getting, and I know you're not going to say it like this, but getting your book is a great first step. What are some just kind of practical things that won't, won't be too overwhelming that might just kind of help a, a teacher kind of slide into this and see the beauty of it? once they do a few things. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a, a few ideas and I'll translate them for different age groups. Sure. Uh, so that we're, we're casting the net pretty wide. The, the first thing I started already talking about this is expanding emotional vocabulary. So I, I firmly believe that to be a complete musician, we need to be able to talk about emotional components. And, you know, if we look at this at, from a Western lens, we need to get beyond major equals happy, minor equals sad. Right. And if we are starting to do this, we need to start with the emotional language of our youth, which is an emoji. So hey. I firmly believe that an emoji poster should be in every single classroom across the country. <clears throat> it should hmm. be in every single folder. And while students are not great about talking about emotion using a nuanced vocabulary, they can circle those emojis left and right. And let me tell you a little secret, Missy, I don't know what half the emojis mean, and <laughs> right. it doesn't matter. It matters that they yep. know what they mean and that they can then speak about why they chose that particular emoji. Now, that's step one. That's step one. That's not step end. We really want to get them beyond the emoji, but let me tell you something. If I'm gonna send an email to my dean here at Lake Forest College, it's probably gonna have an emoji in it. And <laughs> right. he called me out on it. And he said, Scott, <laughs> you're sending an email to me with an emoji. And That's I just said, fun. have you ever second guessed my intention? Right. He said, no. 
And that was the end of the conversation. That's funny. It's true. That's funny. And if I had an emoji, it would be the now I've learned not as cool to use one with the tears coming out (laughs) of the side. Not as cool because the millennials are making fun of us for using it. But I don't care. I'm still going to use it because it's my number one emoji. And, you know, part of that is you are now comparing generations. And you were talking and, you know, being vulnerable and throwing yourself out there and making a little bit of self-deprecating humor, never a bad thing. (laughs) So let's go to a next layer. So once we have that emotional vocabulary, that's step one. Uh, And, and, you know, it really doesn't matter what age because we know those high schoolers, they love doing emojis too. And, you know, I literally have my college students when we're looking at a piece of music and we might be changing textures, we might be changing modes, throw an emoji in there. Just show me how that's kind of changing your path in this piece. And it's amazing, just that two seconds. And I don't care what they actually write in their music. The fact that we're asking our students to reflect, to just think about an emotional component in the music, that's that tangible musical portal. But then we're getting the just kind of in their headspace that it's eventually going to manifest in their own life. So from there, the next biggest thing we can do, and I alluded to this uh, earlier, is to have our students set their own goals. That our students need to be able to have a space to envision what their own music education looks like. So very, very simple way to do it uh, to start, especially with our younger students, is you have many, many different objectives in your class. Well, maybe you come up with four and your student picks one. So it's not necessarily Hmm. they're writing their own objective, but they get to pick what they want to focus on. Sure. Okay. So you're not worried about them coming up with their own really well-worded SMART goal. You're just positioning them to a space to say, you know, this is what I want to focus on. This is how it aligns with my strengths, my needs, and I'm able to now work on this because I'm passionate about getting better at Hmm. this. And then eventually we pull them away and the students eventually can write their own goals. But the other piece of this is self-evaluation. And, you know, teaching at the college level, this is one of the biggest things that we talk so much about, which is assessment and measurement and how do we look at our music classroom and get our students to better understand where they are. Well, we can release those reins too. And we can engage our students in self-reflection and self-evaluation and saying, this is how close I've gotten to this. This is where I am today. And this isn't something you do once. It's not a checkpoint. It's, you know, maybe it's SEL self-assessment Friday. You know, we come back to it every Friday and we say, hey, how close are you to achieving that goal? And I firmly believe we never achieve goals. I firmly believe we are always in a position (laughs) to improve. No one ever gets to 100%. We know plenty of adults who don't have SEL skills. And the same thing is true in music. We can always make steps in progression. So I always leave my arrow with just a little bit of space there at the top to show, hey, you've done a great, great job. There's always room. Hmm. Okay. Um, So those are some very practical things. Uh, Is there training for this like that's tied to music? yet well a couple things one i i do teach graduate courses on uh social and emotional learning and music education uh where we do explore this in depth and we give teachers space to sort of unpack their own 
reflective self-awareness uh, because I firmly believe that if we're going to engage our students in this, we need to engage ourselves in this process and become a little sure. bit more self-aware. Um, we also have, you, you know, let's just face it, we're in the world of webinars. There, there yeah. are many, many webinars out there about social and emotional learning where uh, we start to unpack some of this. And, you know, let me just, if I could, could I beg just two seconds to let us know yes. about something really exciting happening? Yes, please. Later this month, March 22nd, we are going to be launching the Center for Arts Education and Social and Emotional Learning. It's going to be the game changer in terms of having resources available for teachers around this. And this isn't just music education. This will be across all the art content areas. But this is a space that we're going to be providing professional learning materials for teachers. We're going to be providing space and materials for us to be able to advocate using social and emotional learning. We're going to be creating artistic works that have SEL at the roots. We're going to be researching this to say, hey, we, we say this is a good idea, but what is really the effect and what mm -hmm. are the promising practices? So again, this is the game changer. It, it's, uh, it's housed out of Arts Ed, New Jersey. And, hey, uh, so, I'm in New Jersey. There I'm you go. Saying. New Jersey, just so you know, just rock starring the SEL thing right now in terms of how it relates to the arts. And, and you have some very, very powerful friends in music education, all the way up to the governor's office who are just really touting the power of arts education and are realizing um, the power of SEL melded with arts education is just that much more powerful. So stay tuned, artsedsel.org. Uh, this upcoming month is going to be exciting. We have a full slate of webinars. We have a full slate of articles. We have a full slate of resources that we're going to be throwing out on uh, March 22nd to really Ooh. start to get this thing kickstarted. Wow. And, that, and of course, we'll share that on the episode page and on social media platforms to get that word out because it's really... That's really exciting. And and on top of all that, you know, how do we how, how do we do this? You email me, and if this <laughs> is, you know, I, I'm I, I'm as accessible as it comes. So if people want to talk about what SEL looks like in their classroom, we'll find a time. And if you get the we'll, we'll use the words the yellow book and the blue book, <laughs> and you, you say, you know, this is great, but what's it look like in my world? That's when you email me. And that's right. when we figure out how do you adapt this for your world. One of my greatest joys that I've missed during the pandemic is doing professional development. I love going and talking to teachers. And, and you know, this is just a powerful and Missy, I'm so thankful for this experience because this is how we're talking to teachers right now. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, if you're a teacher, pump your fist in the air a couple of times. Cause, and, and I was thinking we need to have you back on again and let's talk about the social emotional uh needs of teachers which must be a whole thing especially after this past year oh missy it is rough not even kidding are you it's so, always rough but it is rougher than ever you know and i think what is the worst part about it is everyone's talking about self-care and, you know, if one more person tells me to take care of myself, I'm going to lose what's left of my hair. <laughs> and, and there's not much up there. Uh, the, the, the challenge is that systemically everything is beating us up, that we are not able to engage in what we know is going to take care of us. And if we were to, we'd be neglecting so many responsibilities. Mm. So when we talk about our own SEL and our own self-care, the, the important thing is not to say – 
how do we fill our cups? Because water's not the problem, Missy. <laughs> I have plenty of water. Right, right. I can tell you exactly what you need to do to fill your cup. The problem is our bucket has holes in it. So the second that you throw the water in, it's just it pouring goes. out. It's pouring out. So the question that we need to be asking ourselves is what is puncturing our individual buckets? And how much of that is in our control? How much of that is outside of our control? And is there some ability that we have to start putting a little sticky tack over some of those holes? Because if not, this whole idea of taking a mental health day, going for a walk, it's going to be short-lived. It'll help, sure. but it's going to be short-lived sure. because yeah. we need to change how our educational system is beating our teachers up. Yep. And it's uh, uh, one of my dearest friends in the whole world is my one of my colleagues, my art teacher, my BFF. And we were talking about how are we going to, how are we getting through this, you know? And I said, I feel like a year ago, I was saying to teachers, I wasn't saying like, we're going to get through this. I was saying, we have to get through. Somehow we're going to get through this. I have no answers for you, except that we'll be here together. Um, We'll be here to support each other as best as we can. When somebody needs to scream, we'll be here to listen. When you have a success, we'll be here to cheer it on. But we were talking about for us, the last three months are going to be pretty brutal as they're putting more and more kids in the classroom. And so for me, one true way of taking care of myself is to say, here's what I'm going to make sure I have something to teach tomorrow and I'm going to try my best to be happy tomorrow. And if I'm not, it's okay because I'll be happy again at another moment. <laughs> and so that's not the answer for everybody. But we were saying how that's our, that's going to be our joy and our survival tactic right now. Because I start thinking like, but what about when all the kids come in? And what about when they want us to teach, you know, virtually and like, nope, I will f- we will figure it out. We are smart and we're going to find ways to see the joy in the moment without being false about it. Because when it sucks, we're going to say it sucks. <laughs> you, you know, the, the whole idea, we talked about goal setting, right? Yeah. And a dear friend of mine said, Scott, short-term goal, get through today. Long-term goal, get through tomorrow. Yes. And there's wisdom in that yes. word. Yes. One, one thing that I do want to say, and you said not be false, and, and, and the idea of toxic positivity yes. is really really powerful and you know we we need to normalize every emotion and that there are things that are going on in this world right now that i'm very sad about mm. that i'm very disgusted about that i am finding joy in but those worlds are living simultaneously inside right, of me right right and every single one of those emotions has a space and sometimes you know one comes up a little then it comes back down you know i think that for me personally, uh, one of my biggest goals right now is to try to stay even. That I try and, uh, you know, I want to experience all the emotions, but I'm trying not to get those emotions too extreme. And yeah. and that, that's Smart. really helped just to kind of keep everything in perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. As you say that, I think that's kind of what, when I explained it to Debbie, I was saying, I'm almost like um, becoming numb, but in not in a bad way. I'm not allowing myself to freak out. And so that's actually been very powerful for me in the past couple of weeks when I started to feel frantic as the board of ed was meeting and the parents were upset and the teachers are upset. 
And I just said, I have to almost just kind of shut things down so that I don't panic and just... So when I was saying numb, it's not really what I meant, but it was just kind of like, it's kind of like what you're explaining. I'm not going to let any one of these extremes take over um, right now. <laughs> that might change. Um, I can't help but, and I don't say this as a point of pride, it's just true, but be real about how I'm feeling. There's days when... You know, when somebody says to me, we're going to get through this. I'm like, well, you know what? I don't know that we are. But <laughs> right now I'm still alive and going. So that's good. It's breaking my heart that I see so many people um, leaving the profession. and But I don't judge them even one little tiny bit. It's a very, very heavy time for everyone. Before we wrap things up, of course, I have one of the bigger questions, you know, on this podcast, I talk about my position and how I'm learning to honestly, not all the time, but learning to confront my own uh, racism, the white supremacy that's so inherent in our schools, uh, in my own life, in my classroom. Uh, do you mind talking about and your own journey with this and these issues? And how, and you have touched on this already in our chat, um, how this impacted both the writing of the original book, the yellow book, back in the day, what you, like what I'm sure you've evolved since then. And I'm going to guess that there's a lot of intersection between SEL and these issues. Do you, do you find that to be the case? So, Missy, there's there's two dialogues happening right now, and and dialogue is too much of a compliment. There's two groups of people <laughs> talking right now, right. Uh, and one is saying that social and emotional learning is one of our most powerful tools for anti-racism. That if we truly frame it as a space to amplify student voice, then this is something that we can put into our quiver, that we can shoot this arrow and we can help our students navigate the systemic racism and to navigate privilege. <clears throat> you know, mm. social and emotional learning is for everybody. And from my position as a white male, I need to self-reflect a great deal about what this means. And I've chosen to use that position as a space to advocate for equity every single chance that I have and to surround myself with people who are going to push me. <clears throat> and I have friends who left and right when something doesn't feel like I've gotten to a space that I love when they say, Scott, no. You know, Franklin Willis is one of those people. Darlene right. Moshe Khan is How one is of those people. And those are the people who I enjoy being around because it's not about an arrival point. It's about realizing that we're all on a journey. Mm -hmm. So since 2017, so many things in our world um, <laughs> maybe haven't changed but have become blatantly apparent. And maybe they have changed. But what we've realized since then is that we can't ignore it. Um, I, I saw something just very, very tangibly um, powerful on Martin Luther King Day that said, it's not enough to be non-racist. We have to be anti-racist. We have to up the game if we're going to have any kind of systemic change. And, you know, I firmly believe that if we embrace 
social and emotional learning as a space for co-construction in our classroom, that it's not the one-way arrow, that we really are getting into the weeds with this identity, this belonging. And most importantly, we didn't get to this, the, the, the final step of SEL is student agency, that students' voice can make a change in our classroom and in the world around them. So it's not us putting all these processes in our classrooms, but the students have an environment that is conducive. A, a dear friend of mine here in Illinois, um, you know, I, I used to say that SEL gives our students a voice. And she, back in the day that we could actually get together, she literally slapped me upside the head and said, Scott, <laughs> no, our students have voices. We just silence them. Mm. SEL is about amplifying our students' voices. And when we approach it from that mindset and we amplify all of our students' voices, especially our students who are coming from underrepresented populations, and we're elevating that voice to the level that it needs to be elevated to, that's the first and most powerful step that we can take to using SEL for anti-racism. Hmm. I really um, ha am learning this idea, which feels, you know, I'm almost 53. I should know these things, but I'm thankful for the grace to keep learning, learn how to bring up student voices and sublimate mine more. Because to be quite honest, that is not the um, model that I used for a great deal of my career. And I'm thrilled to be hearing this happening more and more in classrooms and giving music teachers the tools to kind of think about these things and be more intentional and embed these things and do it in a consistent way is imperative, you know, for real growth, which of course, you know. <laughs> so thank you for being here. Thank you for these books and especially for your new, can tell me the name of the new big thing, the what, I mean, is it like a website that's the big thing or is is it so a it, physical place? I wish. No, no. It, it's, uh, we're, we're calling it, it's the Center for Arts Education and Social and Emotional Learning, abbreviated artsedsel.org. And it, it's going to be a center, uh, a virtual center. So it okay. will be housed on a website. Uh, but there are, are certainly real people working on this behind the scenes. Right, right, right. Um, and the effect will be tangible, that you will have access to many, many different resources to further this work. Fantastic. Well, thank you for doing it. And thank you. I also want to say thank you for spotlighting somebody like Darlene, Machacon and seeing the value in the elementary teachers and spotlighting them in this upcoming book. And thank you for being here and talking with me. Missy, it, it, it's my pleasure. This, this is what I'm passionate about. And if, if I could just indulge just one final thought that, yes. you know, I talked about needs before notes, but I firmly believe that we have a tough road ahead of us. I, mm -hmm. I'll be honest. And that it's because of the trauma that we're in. And one of my mantras is from trauma to trust through music. That How are we going to get through this? Well, we're going to get through it the same way we always have. We're going to make music together. And we're going to trust. And we're going to build back our communities. We're going to build back our musicianship. We are going to come back together and embrace the trusting relationship that we've always had. And we're going to do it through music. 
I was kind of hoping we were going to do it through macaroni and cheese, but music Peanut butter is and pretty- jelly. <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly. I don't drink, so I was trying to think of another. <laughs> Can we do it through music and macaroni and cheese? Heck I'm yeah. just- <laughs> Sorry. It's very late, by the way, when we're recording this. Um, Thank you so much. Come back again. All you um, need to do is ask. I'll be here. <laughs> I'm very good at asking, so you're probably going to regret that you said that. Um, and good luck with the new things that are going on. And we're going to um, be promoting them. So lots of people can get their hands on this and make a better place. Please, let's make a better place. <laughs> Amen. And and Missy, as you know, as always, to you and your listeners, you know, this is such a personal thing. If there's a response to the materials, a response to the book, let's hear it. You know, mm. there's only one way that we're going to get better is if we get feedback on this. If you blanketly accept this as the gold standard, well, we're never going to reach platinum. So bring it. Right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Missy. I've been thinking a lot about what Scott said concerning how we need to normalize all the emotions we and students are feeling and learn to give them space, especially during this pandemic. Easier said than done, but a worthwhile goal to be sure. If you heard the secret code for the giveaway of Scott's book, send it to me at musicedwithmissy at gmail.com and you'll get an entry. If you subscribe to the podcast as well and share a screenshot of that, I'll give you two entries. And if you review the podcast wherever you listen and share a screenshot of that, well, I'm going to give you four entries. Let's get some free stuff from the amazing GIA publications. The Music Ed Amplified podcast music was composed and performed by my husband, Jeremy Strong, who also helps produce the podcast, and my second-born son, Owen Strong. It would be so great if you would subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you listen and even share it with others so that we can get these important discussions out to more and more people in order to facilitate real change in our profession. As always, thank you for spending time with me. I hope that you've been encouraged, supported, educated, and inspired, and that you are motivated to reflect on your philosophy and practice. I will definitely see you next time, but until then keep doing all you can to create a more musical, thoughtful, and just world for your students, their families, and your community.